When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kia ora. I'm Jen Black and welcome to The Short Read. This week I'm joined by James Paisley who came second in the Sunday Star Times short story competition. Later on you'll hear his piece teetering. But first let's hear from James himself. Kia ora James, how are you? Hey Jen, I'm good thanks, how are you doing? So for people who don't know you, what's, what's your background? Have you always been into writing or is this a new thing or... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, in general, I guess uh, I was born and raised in Auckland. Uh, I went to school and university there. Um, I, I've always sort of, I've been writing in the weekends and during periods of unemployment, but never, it's never been a full-time job or anything, just just in the sidelines. And how did it feel when uh, Tracy called you up and was like, you've taken out second place? Um, well, well, she emailed me, and it was a week after after the main guy won. So I had no idea. So it was it was a bit of a shock, but but it was pretty great. Uh, I mean, as I said, I've been writing for a while, uh, and I've been published in a few journals, but it's mostly been rejections. So it was pretty epic to be placed. And now I guess I can sort of say to myself, maybe you know, you're not completely terrible, or at least Owen Marshall liked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of validation after doing something you love. Um, so it's awesome that other people think that your writing's good as well. Exactly. Just as a little tease for our listeners, what's what's the story about? Um, I, I think it's it's about a teacher's failure to enforce boundaries between himself and a student is the short answer. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of flips between different perspectives. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, it's, it's sort of... Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it's sort of, you know, the ending right right on early early in the story, and it's just to sort of see how it happened, you know, and to and understand what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, almost like when they do that little bit at the start of a movie where they show you, like, the end bit, and then they work the way back. Yeah, I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> like reading the last chapter of a book and then, like, reading the start of it. you got to pull the readers in, you know. Yeah, definitely. Great hook. What inspired you to write this story? I don't really know. I don't, I don't uh, plan what I'm going to write. Usually I sort of just sit down and see what comes out. Um, I guess a lot of my favorite books, though, they're about teachers. Uh, books like uh, In My Father's Den by Morris G, or A Disaffection by James Kalman, or um, Stoner by John Williams. So I guess maybe I was channeling a bit of that. Yeah. You've been published in a couple of journals and you used to work at stuff beforehand. What, where do you want your writing to take you? What's the next next kind of thing that you're aiming for uh i don't really expect it to take me anywhere to be honest um but i guess one day i'd love to publish a novel or a collection of short stories yeah definitely it's kind of uh i guess it's you you want to do what's fun first and then if other people like it and uh, opportunities pop up it's a i guess a bonus yeah exactly you gotta grab grab any opportunity is there places people can look to find more of your stuff i've been in this this year. I've been in the spinoff and newsroom in Landfall. Um, I had a little piece in the Guardian, um, but but if they want to read my work, I have a pathetic little Twitter, which is James Paisley one, or um or a website which is just jamespaisley dot com, which sort of has everything together. Awesome, and um just just a cheeky little question in there. What's your favorite piece of work you've written? Do you have a favorite child? Probably a story I wrote 
for Landfall that was republished in Newsroom called um, First Home Buyers. It's just sort of, yeah, I don't know. It, it sort of felt like it connected to more people than usual. So that was, that was a nice feeling. Now here's Sam Smith reading Teetering. He looks out through blinds over the concrete lunch area and finds her, a tall girl with mousy brown hair, staring back at him, chewing gum. He wishes he didn't know the flavour. Other things he knows whether he likes it or not. She is generous. She is unhappy. She is alienated in the sprawling school beside the motorway. One of 2,000 girls in a shapeless green uniform, forced to sit through PowerPoint slideshows four hours a day. She is wasting her youth. She will go far. He can see her as a TV journalist, a litigator, a lecturer. She is lazy, but when she likes something, she excels and shows bursts of brilliance. She has, he believes, an original mind. It's the third day of his second year teaching English to sixth form girls, and all he can think about is his telling her, near the end of last year, the reason why his marriage failed. He blames the heat, the silence, the thought that summer was close, freedom was near, the tantalising idea it was all downhill for him while the girls still had exams to sit, the ripe unfairness of it. He likes to think something overcame him. He knows he lost his bearings. It was the worst period in his life. Everything, for a brief hazy few months, had seemed both vital and utterly pointless. In the mornings, he considered himself too busy to waste his time at school. When school was done for the day, he never wanted to leave. He had moved back in with his mother and did his best to avoid going home. As for Ella, it seemed like a real friendship. The age difference felt like less. She was more mature than many of his university friends. She told him how much she liked his classes. He told her how much he liked teaching her. That was one thing. The conversation under the science block was another. He knows it should never have happened. This is the third lunch he has seen her watching his window. He doesn't beckon her up. He's too busy preparing for this afternoon's class, opening and closing old library books. Dust unfurls across the room. How, he wonders, did he get here? Last year, the cleaners pulled him aside several times. They told him it didn't add up. It was only his class that looked as though it hadn't been aired in 20 years. Dust doesn't come from nothing, they told him. He pretended like he had no idea what they were talking about. From the doorway, she says, Don't tell me you're a one-trick pony. He smiles and tells her he is making his point the only way he knows how. She groans. It's funny. He thinks the way she remains in his doorway, waiting for him to invite her in. She used to plop down at her desk without a thought. Last year he gave her class a choice. Janet Frame or Emily Perkins. It was unanimous. For two semesters they studied not her real name. He was the only teacher at Trelawney Girls to teach a book other than The Great Gatsby. The thing is, he told his peers at one of their weekly meetings, I actually want the girls to like my class. And when everything has come apart and his former peers are watching rainfall on muddy fields, clutching cups of tea, deciding who will take his classes until someone can be hired, they will remember his declaration and decide it was this trait and not the other thing that was his real problem. What can I do for you, Ella? How is Mr Campbell's class? One of his great disappointments was discovering that most of his students, including Ella, were not continuing with English in their final year. For entry into most university courses, you only needed two Level 3 Humanities subjects, and it was considered smarter to take geography, since it was basically a guaranteed merit, which left space for one other Humanities subject. The vast majority chose Media Studies, a bastardised mix of movies, books and journalism, 
and it helped who taught it. As well as teaching this class, Campbell is the principal. He has us watching the Truman Show. Never seen it. Don't bother. He wishes now he didn't remember the things he told her during similarly warm lunchtimes, how as a boy he had liked to throw stones at old people swimming in the river, how as a grown man he still does not know how to whistle. So, has she come back? Hmm, he says from behind his desk. He does not remember stepping back. Charlotte, has she come back? Hot dusty gravel between his fingers when he told her about his ex-wife leaving him, he remembers thinking how weird to be alone with a girl whose jumper is tied around her waist, cushioning her while Charlotte lies on some golden beach in Vietnam, probably with an American named Bud. Lost, grieving, reckless, he told her just about everything, but he does not remember telling her Charlotte's name. When he was done, she touched his arm and asked how anyone could leave him. He should have removed her hand, he shouldn't have told her the truth, but he decided to treat her like an adult, like they were out for a beer. He told her he had stopped desiring his wife, and so, intentionally or not, he had sent her into the arms of other men. And there had been many who would have her. No, she hasn't, he says. I'm sorry, she says. All summer I hoped she would snap out of it. I was sure she would. He is leaning against his desk, staring at his new girls. He has not learned their names yet, but he is aware that after last year there are expectations. He is the young, fun teacher with the edgy texts. He is not afraid to have a laugh. He is happy to assist outside of class hours. He is, he has heard it said, not half bad looking. Anyone? No one. He needs his roll book. He needs to pick someone and force them from their shyness, but it's all he can do to keep his mind from turning back to her declaration that his ex-wife is an idiot. His new girls aren't dull or slow. The problem is that they know what happens when no one answers. Nothing. He's known for his modern methods. What he assumed would be taken for civility and what was taken for civility last year, they have leapt upon as weakness. He does not have their respect. Rumours about divorce and a certain conversation under the science block may already be swirling down corridors and along the shaded edges of the fields, and what worked last year may not work again. Dust, he says, pointing at specks floating through the classroom. The answer is dust. It reflects sunlight. Without dust, we would not be able to see. Now, the reason I'm... Well, can someone tell me why I'm bringing this up? Ella, he remembers, spoke now for the first time. She pushed her chair back so it was teetering on two legs. Something he learned she did when she was nervous and succinctly tied dust to Hemingway's iceberg theory to Perkins, who in her first lauded collection often used the method. Ella explained it so well it was like she had read the answer from out of his notebook. Though, in actual fact, there was no correct answer. It didn't matter. He asked this question to see what connections the girls might make, to see what dazzling idea might come from nowhere. And now he waits for a new idea, for a new girl to take her place. He waits and waits, moving from his desk to the window and back again. But this year's class remains silent. Campbell asks him, What can you tell me about Collins? He considers this. Good student, when it suits her. She speaks highly of you. He shrugs. We got along. Did you ever, I don't know, get the sense anything was going on, an undercurrent? I don't think so, no. You don't think so? Girls can be... her in particular. He seems to think better about what he's going to say. It's not about you. It's them. It's a need for attention. Brown nods. Tells him he took a class at Teachers College about maintaining boundaries with students. They teach that now. Great. Brown no longer owns a car. It was Harriet's. So after school, he begins his hot walk home towards Milford. 
He lives with three young professionals and a chef. He has adapted to his new lifestyle quickly. He cooks dinner at four in the afternoon so he won't get in the way of the others. He doesn't like taking up space. By the time the rest of them get home, he has finished eating and is watching TV on his bed. His evenings now last a long time. When he tries to sleep, he is usually hungry, but he doesn't mind. He likes the idea of waking up starving. He believes it will keep him young. Ella is waiting for him down the road. Hi, she says, stepping up from the bus stop. Off to Milford? he asks, trying to sound cheerful. She didn't do this last year. Listen, she says, falling into step beside him. I had an idea. You know how Collins and Tompkins are taking English scholarship this year? He tells her he does. They're geriatrics. It's nothing but Othello and all visitors ashore. It's lame. I was thinking, what if you took it? Winning subject scholarships is, though never openly discussed, pretty much the school's top focus. The more scholarships awarded, the more funding is available. They would not entrust these classes to some second-year teacher, no matter how much one class liked him. Not likely. Just think about it. His mother tells him, Try. They are sitting in her backyard in Northcote. The sun is setting, the sky is pink, the gum tree is leafy, but in a few months her driveway will be covered in soft, spiky balls. It felt like we were friends, you know. I needed someone to talk to, someone close to my age, someone who got it. She's not your age, though, is she? For 20 years she taught English at Chatswood College, a girls' school down the road from Trelawney. When that became unbearable, she transitioned to school counsellor. Back then, you didn't need a degree. You just needed to speak gently, and theirs, he thinks, is a family of soft speakers. Remember the rules, she says? They're not her rules, but they might as well be. She read them in some short story. Felt like she'd been struck by lightning, cut the paragraph out, stuck it in her wallet, and for years, followed them devoutly. She recites them now, putting special prominence on Never introduce the topic dear to your heart. In the dull silence that follows, she crunches on an almond, then says, She'll be fixated now. I've seen it before. It's not her fault. She's so young. What do I do? He begins spending his off-duty lunchtime in the library. It's cool and quiet, and no one comes in. He gets a whole week of respite before she finds him. Halfway through lunch, her head appears above a bookshelf. She smiles. This is a wonderful coincidence. She is chewing gum. The seat taken, she whispers. She sits down beside him. She does not bother to pretend to read. He closes his eyes. To get into the library, you must pass Irene, the librarian, meaning she knows they are both in here, that they are the only people in here. Even worse, she can't see them from where she's sitting. You don't need to do this. What? Hide, she says. If you want me to stay away, tell me. We're both adults. I'm not hiding, he says gently. I would never do that. You're not? Of course not. Why would I? This last question comes out a whisper. He is a coward. He asks her this so she will tell him why he ought to hide from her, so she will hear it for herself and understand the bind he is in. But she doesn't tell him anything. She smiles and takes him at his word. Campbell says, The reason I ask this is that you two were seen under the science block during class time. Brown looks mildly perplexed. I'm sure I'm seen with students all the time, all over the place. But alone? Under the science block? During class hours? When was this? End of last term. I don't know. Brown tries to look like he is thinking. I recall I was on patrol one afternoon, and she was down there. I think she was upset about something. It was during lunchtime. Nothing happened then? 
a chat about exams. Nothing happened. Good, you had a solid first year. The kids were fans. The parents, too. Collins and Tompkins think you're rolling in the right direction. What are your ambitions? For what? Work, Henry. What do you want to achieve? Brown looks out at the tawny fields, thinking all he really wants is a reasonable, regular income. Maybe a pay rise in a few months. That's the glamorous truth. But he senses Campbell needs more. He's the type who expects hopes and dreams. I'd guess I'd like to be head of department one day. A good goal. English department? Any that will have me. Eventually she breaks. She gets sick of him avoiding her, sick of staring at his window waiting to be beckoned up. She gets so sick of it she can't get out of bed. She can't eat. She can't study. Her parents begin to worry. A counsellor is called. The truth, when it comes out, comes out differently than how he remembered. But it's her version, and he can't really call it lies. Though to call it the full story would be wrong. During the last week of term, the girls spent class time studying, occasionally asking sleepy teachers for help. A few times, one of the girls would start crying or run from the classroom. Mostly, though, it was a quiet, diligent time. He was whistling as he patrolled. No one was around. It was humid and cloudy, and the whole school was seemingly huddled inside beside fans. He whistled as a warning, so anyone doing anything prohibited would know he was coming. Mr Moss, his old gym teacher, used to do the same thing except he jimmied his keys. One afternoon, though, despite the keys, Moss caught a couple of guys smoking weed in the bushes. He should have dragged them down to the office, but he told no one, and in the end that did him in. It was only to escape the sun that Brown stepped under the science block. Ella was sitting on the gravel, hunched over, absorbed by her phone. The Amish, he said. Don't trust phones. Bending the neck is too much like bowing to another god. She smiled when she realised it was him. The seat taken, he said, sitting down beside her. He put his arms around his knees and asked how exam prep was going. He asked about a rumour that she wasn't taking English next year. I was going to tell you, she said. It's fine. It's your future, he lamented. She laughed as he pretended to wipe tears from his eyes. When the bell rang, he didn't move. He had an empty period and told her he was going to hide out there. She didn't move. He asked if she had class and she told him she didn't. For a while, they sat quietly, staring at the empty field. There was lunchtime quiet and there was class time quiet. He thought and wondered listening to the motorway's faint hum, how two sounds that were practically the same could be so different. She lay back on the gravel with her hands under her head and asked why he had gotten married so young. I don't know. No one else was doing it, he said. What's it like? I wouldn't recommend it. Why? And because, until then, he had told almost no one about his wife leaving him, he told her everything. Every granular detail, Details he had felt too embarrassed to even tell his mum. He let her all the way in. And when he was done and they had five minutes until the next class, the last class of the day, she admitted she had skipped class to keep him company. He knew then he had gone too far. In his head he thought, things have gone too far. But many months later he would be able to admit he had gone too far. When he got up to leave, she tried to kiss him. He told her that wasn't a good idea. She asked why, and because no good reason came to him, and because he took too long to think of something sufficiently adult and mature to say, she leaned in again, and this time, as he searched for the right answer when any answer would have sufficed, 
she stole a gentle kiss. He would think of this kiss every day in the months to come, sometimes with regret, but more often he would think of it with a certain unexpected gladness. He was not glad about how the kiss felt, brief and terrifying and tasting of warm cinnamon or for the impact it had on Ella, but he was glad he would be lying if he said he wasn't about what the kiss meant. Like dinner at four in the afternoon, it was going to keep him young. You've been listening to Teetering by James Paisley on the Short Read Podcast. The story was read by Sam Smith, edited by Connor Scott, and produced by me, June Black. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to hear more stunning stories by up-and-coming New Zealand writers, or head to www.stuff.co.nz forward slash the short read. Ka anō. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.